For the next few weeks, we're going to the archives for another listen to some great interviews from the Rattlebag programme presented by Miles Dungan. This first is from 2004. Carrie Fisher arrived to the studio one Friday afternoon prior to a Late Late Show appearance that evening. In the middle of promoting her book, The Best Awful, a follow-up to Postcards from the Edge, she was jet-lagged and weary. But when the red light came on, there she was, funny, generous, honest, self-aware and self-deprecating. Carrie Fisher passed away on December the 27th last year. Her mother, Debbie Reynolds, died the very next day. But here's what happened when Miles met Carrie. Carrie Fisher has just completed her fourth novel, which is The Best Awful. It's a sequel to the hugely popular Postcards from the Edge. And Carrie Fisher joins me in the studio. You're very, very welcome indeed. Now, in The Best Awful, you reintroduce us to Suzanne Vale, who we met in Postcards from the Edge. Was it always your intention to go back to her at some stage? No, I, it wasn't. I, um, I wrote uh, these other books in between, and I always had to write the... Um they're all me, these characters, and I would write the characters that lived in Hollywood and had Hollywood jobs and, and did things like me. So I just thought this time I was going to try to write a memoir, because I have been saying I'm a diarist um, with an explanation that I'll get back to you on. And um, I couldn't write memoirs, so I thought, well, I'm going to write a sequel to one of the books that I've written, and in this case, um, really, I had to have one that had a drug problem, and the first book was the only one that had a drug problem, so... Why could you not write a memoir? Was it one of those things I'm where... I'm not good at it. First of all, I have a terrible memory. Right. Is, through... is it like the 60s? If you can remember them, you, you weren't You weren't you there. You weren't there? Um, well, since I, I think I remember... I don't remember the 60s because I was four, uh, but um, I tried to recreate them in the 70s, so I don't remember them. You know, I just have a bad memory. And then I read these memoirs where people... They remember things when they were five and six, and I... Are they kidding? So yeah, I, I... Yeah, I sometimes wonder that they're myself. They're kidding. Yeah. And they're great writers that sometimes do this stuff, and I... Look, I don't remember any of it, and I, then you have to go and check with everybody, is this okay? And I have to do that anyway, because I, I know people figure things in my book are, you know, true, or this person is real or based on, so less of that. And uh, did you have it take advantage of or have the advantage of other people having written about you? Uh, I mean, could could other people have helped your memoir by by virtue of you going to something that they've written and, uh, oh, yeah, I remember that, or that's not how it happened? Well, they've said, um, you know, I've had a lot of the things in my life have been documented in the press and stuff, and so I sort of wanted to get my version of things. But... Um, I I sort of do... I like writing anyway. I mean, at some point it went from inclination to obligation, but I would do it anyway. It's sort of... It is... I don't know if it's therapeutic so much as it organizes better outside of my head than in. Um, but, you know, like in this book, it was in the paper that I had gone to a mental hospital. So I figure that's... People are going to say something weird about that, so I might as well be the one that has the best version of it. Do people, because of what you've written about yourself, do people feel that you are fair game and that they can write some uh, appalling things about you because, because well, on been... the basis that you've bested it yourself? Well, they haven't. It's not that appalling. It's just you know, the imagination does tend to go frolicking off into the breeze when you hear someone's been in the mental hospital, you know. I mean, they wrote Carrie Fisher's tragic life. Well, I kind of wanted to, you know, double back on that one. Um, some of the things that have happened to me are no, not amusing. 
um, to say the least. But I don't consider that I've had a tragic life. Far from it. Okay, we'll talk about about some of that life, but uh, let's get an example of the best awful. Mm -hmm. There are some very very funny set pieces in it, and some very very funny descriptions in it. I think this is this is in the early part of the book, one of one of the funnier ones. Just tell us what you're going to read for us. Well, something that you picked. Mm -hmm. I picked it. <laughs> um, there are there is a few. So I'm responsible. You wrote <laughs> you're it. You're responsible I... for everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> this is uh, when the characters when Suzanne goes to a um, a funeral in Hollywood and it's a funeral of a well-known producer and as such there's call sheets and you know people introduce one another and so forth so Suzanne has just been uh, or sort of wrangled into doing something and th this is the assistant of the producer talking to her um, Marge was a stocky, middle-aged woman who had a wide, smooth, expressionless face with nervous blue eyes and short blonde hair. She seemed to have had something unfortunate done surgically to her face, giving it its unnatural shine. But the most noticeable thing was the size of her lips, or what had once been her lips and had now been augmented to the point of explosion. Suzanne could never fully understand why so many women were getting their lips blown up, as she called it. Were they meant to look younger, sexier by virtue of this pouty, bee-stung mouth? More often than not, it looked as though as if their mouths had nothing to do with the rest of their faces. Their lips had, in effect, gone on without them, continuing to grow while the rest of their features slunk back, looking on in dismay. Most of these augmentations were done with either collagen or the more permanent silicone, but there was a new lip-increasing substance available, an infusion of fat abducted from their own asses. Yes, women were having fat harvested from their posteriors and surgically inserted into their lips so that when and if you kissed them, you were getting a little more than you bargained for, two mints in one. Suzanne wondered if Marge had had her ass put in her mouth or used the more conventional collagen or silicone and then realized her expression might have betrayed her thoughts because she caught herself gazing at Marge's lower face with just a hint of revulsion as though she had picked up the scent of Marge's buttocks <laughs> faintly wafting from her highly glossed mouth. Did you make that? Is that actually true? Or I don't know nothing about cosmetic surgery. I did not surgery. make it up. That is true. See, this is what I say now. If my life wasn't true, if my life wasn't funny, it would just be true, and that's unacceptable. <laughs> so I did not make this procedure up at all. This actually, people do this. This actually What happens. about the term harvesting fat from your ass? <laughs> do they get teeny little farmers to go down there? And what a gig. <laughs> do they have separate people that harvest? I think of these when you really take it on out. Yeah. Do they get the teeny harvest men to get the fat? Do you put it in the, well. Do all the farmers gather together for. Uh, to ask know, the Lord's blessing. And, uh, uh, yeah, do they have ceremonies afterwards? Do they have. God, uh, I hope so, because mm. I want in on that. Um, presumably, you know quite a few marges, or you have come across well, quite a I few Well, I know margins. a lot of people that have had stuff. Um, done when I I've had collagen done certainly, uh, but uh, just all the stuff for us. The thing is, I'm manic depressive, right? So I've had to go into the. Um, that's the what we are, why I had that little trip. And what I say is, I can't have Botox done. 
because, you know, it renders your face expressionless. And how am I going to convince anyone I'm actually having a big mood if I look completely calm and expressionless? So I can't get that. But I can get the procedures they have now for people. You would have, can you imagine telling people 100 years ago, even people now, what we're doing to ourselves, much less why? But yeah, I have a very good friend that does these procedures. Never mind most of the people that have them done. The, I suppose the why is, is as important or more important than the what, isn't it? Well, we want to look young forever, but were we expressionless when we were young? No, I don't think we, we were. No. no. No, we were crazy. That was hormone time. So now the supposition is we were expressionless and had big fat lips. I don't remember that happening. So the absence of wrinkles makes you young? I, I, it does, yeah. Well, yes, but now it, the absence of wrinkles is expressionless. I don't know. The lip thing is much more worrisome, I think. You, of course, must have it here. Uh, I, I, I'm sure we do have it here. Uh, I'm not sure that anybody's going to admit that they are that they have their taking asses pieces in their of mouth? their asses in, and, 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 and planting them on their mouths. Um Suzanne Veil, just to come back to, 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 to Suzanne, in Postcards from the Edge, she was recovering from, from a drug addiction. In the best awful, she's trying to cope with bipolar condition. Now, mm-hmm. just explain, are we talking about manic depression? Yeah, that, that that's just the new weird right. name they gave for it. Something you can familiar with that if one. If you're bipolar, I think you live, you know, more north. But I don't like that name for it. But, um, yeah, because manic depression sounds much more romantic, doesn't it? It does. It does. And lots of famous people have had it as well. They're great people, I think. Mm. And in the book, basically, Suzanne decides to give up the medication and to unleash the real Suzanne. Yes, but why? Well, well, you tell us why. (laughs) Because um, she uh, actually um, had had a child with someone who forgot to tell her he was gay. And he forgot to tell her and she forgot to notice. So what happens is she... Her judgment is off, so she wants to um, access a part of her that might be able to have better judgment. And the bad judgment move that she makes to do to do that is to stop taking her meds. And she unleashes Lucretia on the world. Explain, I mean, Lucretia is... Lucretia, Lucretia, Lucretia Borgia. Borgia. But who is Lucretia in the context of Suzanne Vale? Someone who does not accept any... Um, well, there's no no challenge that Lucretia cannot meet. There's no border she will not cross. There's no, there's nothing that she is not equal to. This is her, her special friend, who is in fact herself. It's herself to the to a thousand squared. You know, there's nothing, me alone or anybody by themselves. You will feel that you can, you can. There are things that you can't do, but a manic person, there's nothing. And did that happen to you? Did you? Oh, sure. You gave up the medication? Oh, not for this thing, though. I don't do that anymore. I have a child. I won't subject my child to this kind of insanity. But me on my own? Yeah, I would do it. And what would happen to you when you did it? You, you never know. You don't know. You know, all bets are off. You stop taking your medication. You could end up in any part of the world with anybody doing any kind of thing. You know, um, they describe it as an illness. You have to, the, the side effects to this illness are not fever and a cold, a runny nose, a sore throat. They're um, uh, shopping, sexual promiscuity, uh, excessive drink. This sounds like a weekend in Vegas to me always. Mm. So 
you get into a lot of trouble if you stop, you know, taking medications that are readily available to you. But it's very, most manics want to feel that way. They feel um, very unequal to anything. It's liquid confidence. That's how I always felt. So who doesn't want to feel really confident? Most people drink. You feel, with the medication, you feel confident or without the medication? Without. Without. If you're manic, if you're depressed, you feel bad about everything. And what kind of trouble do you get or did you get into when you went off the, the Me, medication? Me, um, shopping, traveling, and drugs. Not in that order necessarily. Oh, and probably people. I mean, I was not the sexual promiscuity one, but I could make bad judgment about getting in or leaving a relationship. Or It's the hallmark of the bad judgment call. People have found it difficult to talk about mental illness, to write about mental illness. And I think I mean, you, your own father had problems with mental illness and he had problems with alcoholism, but he preferred right. to be thought of as an alcoholic. Yeah, because it's much more sort of like, um, I don't know, swashbuckly or, you know, it's it sounds like... And if you're Eddie Fisher, that's important. But Yeah, but you want to say, so you'd rather be someone who's a junkie and got, you know, had four or five marriages and spent went bankrupt four times these things don't they're, they're mostly a symptomatic of a manic depressive I once was taken into his house come you want to see what I, I hardly ever saw him but this was one time come and see what I bought in Hong Kong he had gotten 175 silk suits of all different colors that includes yellow, magenta you know, orange and I knew something was off about that he was fun, though. You know, you don't sleep. He didn't sleep. And, you know, I became like him without even knowing him. 175 silk suits. Interesting. It's a good purchase, isn't it's it? It's a very good purchase. Interesting purchase. Fascinating <laughs> purchase. We're talking to Carrie Fisher about her new novel, The Best Awful. Go ahead and say it. You think I'm an alcoholic. Okay. I think you're an alcoholic. Well, maybe I was an alcoholic when you were a teenager. But I had a nervous breakdown when my marriage failed and I lost all my money. That's when I started taking drugs. Well, I got over it. And now I just drink like an Irish person. I know you just... Yeah, we'll, we'll ignore that uh, racial slur at the end. It isn't because <laughs> Reynolds comes from... Of course. But they, it was Mac Reynolds and they dropped the Mac in the Mac, ocean. It was Mac Reynolds? Mac Reynolds. Oh. Yeah, that's what I was told. Um, I was, when I saw Postcards from the Edge, when I read Postcards from the Edge, I thought, this can't be the lovely person who I absolutely adored and singing in the rain. But I don't, she's hardly in the book. And I don't think, um, you know, we put in all this stuff about that scene on the on the stairway. You put in all this stuff so that it gives you this dramatic sort of second act climax, climax which you have to have. But um, because you're not going to have these sort of confrontations between mother and daughter at the age that these two women were. If you're going to start screaming at your mom and stuff like that, it's going to happen when you're about 14. And then you're just going to think, oh, bloody hell, I'm not going to do this as an adult. So that stuff isn't really it's stuff that you can try for a movie. You know, did I yell at my mother about drinking or what all when I was a kid? Yeah. Did, did I, was I a worse druggie? Oh, my God. So, you know, that was a contrivance. My mother lives next door to me now. I, I respect and admire my mother. My mother can drink like an Irish person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, you, you, she took you on the road. She spent a lot of time I on the road. Tell me a little bit about I that. was performing in nightclubs, like most people. 
when I was 13 years old. I was a chorus girl at 15. My mother had a nervous breakdown during that time, and the way that she, you know, handled it was to drink. And it was a difficult time. In no way did that time continue on and on. But I was an adolescent, you know. You're going through that thing that all girls do with their moms at 13, 14. So that did not continue to this date or, I don't know, even beyond 22. But I used that time. And it was it was difficult for my mom. And don't think she didn't stick it to me for the couple of years past when postcards were being made. I'm still yeah. working out the debt. I was wondering what was her what was her reaction because people would automatically assume that as as, as one does that this is exactly like well the emotionally it, take out the drinking and stuff emotionally it was very like our relationship everyone talks overlapping and we have a hilarious relationship if you get in the same room with us I just interviewed her for something it's hilarious is this for the TV program that yeah. you do. You do an, an interview program. Yeah, one on and one. I, I sh- we should only in- I should only interview her. My mother <laughs> to say she's eccentric is to do a disservice to either the to that word. Uh, she's it's hilarious. But if I had another kind of mother who like made me little foodstuffs, well, my mother knows how to make cold toast. But um, <laughs> but it's the thought and everything. But I do put stuff in. The- I adore my mother. I don't know somehow why that's not conveyed but she's not conventional she left you know conventional ate her dust 30 years ago but she's has a lot of other things to offer and i you know i'm readily avail i like my mother a lot i haven't thought of cold toast as a culinary delight before but I'm if you knew my mother that's what's would. available food wise but she has a lot of other things to sort of offer. Okay, let's hear some of the, I don't know whether this these kind of scenes actually ever happen, but a scene from Postcards from the Edge, Shirley MacLaine as the mother and Meryl Streep as the daughter. Will you please tell me what is this awful thing I did to you when you were a child? I want to know. I want to know. Tell okay, me. Okay, fine. From the time I was nine years old, you gave me sleeping pills. That was over-the-counter medication and no. I gave it to you because you, you couldn't sleep. sleeping pills. They were not it was store-bought and it was perfectly safe. Now don't blame me for your drug-taking. I do not blame my mother for my misfortunes or for my drinking. Well, you don't even acknowledge that you drink. How could you possibly blame your mother for something you don't even do? Remember my 17th birthday party when you lifted your skirt up in front of all those I people, did not lift including my that guy skirt. Michael. It twirled up! You only remember the bad stuff, don't you? What about the big band that I got to play at that party? Do you remember that? No! You only remember that my skirt accidentally twirled up! And you weren't wearing any underwear. Well... Oh god! It was great to see those two actually in a movie together, doing doing. The, they were great. Do, they were absolutely fantastic. And you wrote the screenplay as well, yes, so you I have did. no excuse whatever. No, I don't. Here's the thing: some of what is set, my mother and I would never do that. My mother starts doing this martyr. Well, dear, I'll just. I assume you. You're probably on the other line. You you call me. Is the baby there? About my my daughter. You know, my mother and I would never have that fight. Once we had a fight where she slapped um, baked beans on me because I, you know, shot a squirt gun at her. This, the fight in that thing has some truth in it, but the way that it's done, the screaming and all of that, it couldn't happen. I I couldn't sustain it. 
uh, Star Wars. You were very, very young when you got involved in uh, Star Wars. Was it? Did it seem like great fun at the time? Yes, uh, it was great fun at the time, was it? Sure, I was the only girl in an all guy movie, and you know, yeah, it was fun. I didn't expect to get a part like that, and I was nineteen years old. And kept going until you were twenty five. I mean, you did. Well, that the first none time. of it was expected. So, but. You know, I, I didn't want to be an actress particularly. Yeah, this is the curious thing. I mean, in a sense, you you entered the family business. You know, Eddie Fisher, Debbie Reynolds, where else are you going to go? Well, hopefully there were. <laughs> um, I would have thought there were other options. But anyway, I did just sort of audition for it. It was a great, it was a great script. And, a, you know, and I had a good time doing that first one. And then there was a part of it that was... You know, it was a heady thing. We were running around and promoting it, and it didn't need promotion. And But I knew it was always knew that it was going to end because I'd watched my parents' careers, and I knew what happened to careers. And I knew what goes up must come down. I knew that from being bipolar. <laughs> so, and it's, you know, but uh, I enjoyed it as much as I could, knowing that anyway. But, it, you know, it was a very intense experience, and it was hard to put into perspective. I was too young to know how to put anything into perspective. Uh, you were a very, you played a very, very feisty character. Let's just, I, I just want to play this. And, and when you think in terms of this character being played by somebody who was 19, 20 years old. Governor Tarkin, I should have expected to find you holding Vader's leash. I recognized your foul stench when I was brought on board. Charming to the last. You don't know how hard I found it, signing the order to terminate your life. I'm surprised you had the courage to take the responsibility yourself. Princess Lear, before your execution, I would like you to be my guest at a ceremony that will make this battle station operational. No star system will dare oppose the Emperor now. The more you tighten your grip, Tarkin, the more star systems will slip through your fingers. Not after we demonstrate the power of this station. Since you are reluctant to provide us with the location of the rebel base, I have chosen to test this station's destructive power on your home planet of Alderaan. No. Alderaan is peaceful. We have no weapons. You can't You will prefer another target, a military target? Then name the system. I grow tired of asking this, so it'll be the last time. Where is the rebel base? Dantooine. Yeah, you see, Lord Vader, she can be reasonable. You're sitting there listening to that and you are cringing on the one hand and then you're doing the lines on the other hand. Well, because I think I showed it to my daughter recently who hadn't seen it. I loathe hearing... I, I speak with an English accent and that it's... I still can't identify it as a little kid. Well, obviously, Space Princesses did speak with English accents, or will, yeah, no, will, it went will. away, though. It was one of those floating, you know, 24-hour accents. What did your daughter think of it? Did she think Mother she was She really cool? didn't care about it for a long time. My daughter, it's not exotic to um, have show business people in your family when you live in L.A. What's exotic for her is, you know, that her, fam- her father's family's from Louisiana. Now, that's interesting, and I keep trying to say to her, you know, your grandmother isn't singing in the rain. That's really interesting. It's it's fantastic. You've got to get into this before she's, you know, not available anymore. You've got to figure out who she is. It's amazing. But that what does she Star Wars... She doesn't like the Star Wars thing because people... And not come, interested in Granny and singing in the rain? Not or? that at all. And, and, no, and really doesn't like the Star Wars thing because people come up to her and say... 
is Princess Leia your mother? God, that must be... And she hates it. Hey, I got a Tammy, your mother, and you just don't like it because that's not who you feel yourself to be. And what's going to happen to her? I mean, will she, do you think, um, will she veer like totally Like if I away? could sit here and say, well, you know, she'll, <laughs> I'm going to like tell you what's going to happen. She'll be president one day. She, my daughter's really, really smart. She's a great test taker, which is a certain, she loves math. Explain that to me. But, um, you know, she doesn't, she's embarrassed by the show business part, which I I, I understand. But, I mean, you were embarrassed by it to a certain extent, or you didn't like aspects of it, but you still ended up in show business. And guess what? You think my daughter doesn't like this entirely? But she wants it on her own terms. I think she thinks she could do it. She doesn't say she wants to do it. And uh, there's an attitude, which is, you know, you can, you can be in it. You can be in show business as soon as you can drive yourself to the auditions, you know. But what my daughter said is there's some interest, in make, some interest in making my book into a movie, and my daughter's a character in this, somewhat. But she's a six-year-old character. And my daughter says to Billy says to me, well, I want to play Honey, character's name. I said, Billy, that character's six. I don't care. I don't want somebody else to play it, you know, and cock it up or something. So every so often she'll say stuff like that, which lets me know that She's not completely averse to being in show business. Hmm. And uh, rehab, I mean, the amount of time you spent in, in rehab, what, what, was, what, <laughs> what was rehab like for you? Because when you went in, first of all, you were told, hey, the bad news is you've got, you know, you've got problems. The good news is the following people have been in yeah. rehab. You're in great company, but yeah. they're not here. Yeah, because they're dead. <laughs> that would, yeah. They all shot themselves. Um, well, you're going for a bad, a bad problem. And the first time I went, I was so relieved to know what the problem was. Like, why was I doing all that? When I went again, I was so annoyed. I went, um, look, each time you go, you get more information. But it's very intense, and it's sort of humiliating, and why me? And and then you, but, you know, it's more information, and it's another way to take care of yourself. You know, I don't want to be a casualty. So... And was this the first time when you went into rehab, was it the first time that you had actually sat down with somebody or even sat down with yourself and assessed why you were behaving in the way you were behaving, why you were uh, addicted to a variety of Which one? Now, now, I went in at 28, mm. and I'm certainly not that age. And then I went into... I was put on manic depressive medication on lithium, and I, when I was about 30, I didn't like that. But, um, well, that's, I mean, Suzanne is put on lithium in the book. And, well, I'm not on lithium. She's not put, she, I, I'm not put on lithium. Uh, I put on, through trial and error or whatever, some kind of a cocktail. They have so many different medications. And I became allergic. She, I. And um, they took me off everything, took her, the character off everything. And um, I had an allergic reaction. I stayed awake for five or six days. And became psychotic. You ought to try it. It's fantastic. Psychosis is great. I'll, I'll you want to skip on, it? I'll pass on that one if, if you don't mind. So the, what happened then is um, they there was a great concern that I may stay awake for six days again. And it w- wasn't only my concern. So the doctors put me on sleeping pills, controlled sleeping pills, for a year. Mickey Finn's, probably an Irish guy named after that. <laughs> And Ativan, which is like Valium or something. 
And a year later, having been in the mental hospital, I had to go to rehab again. They say the first time is a gift, the second time is a bitch. This was a nightmare. Why? Because it, I was there again hearing all the same things, and I was there because I'd been put on these meds. I didn't like these meds. If so I'd you, been in there for stuff I liked, maybe yeah. I would have been Through there. no fault of your own, you were back in rehab. Well, that's, you know, I there's a part of you that feels like, this isn't my fault. You want to think that anyway. On a certain level, I'm sure it was my fault. But so that I don't want to, I really don't want to go again. If you don't mind, but um, okay, well, we let you skip that. Thank one. you. Writing, that, that writing is what you do now. Is it something that you enjoy more than uh, more than more than making movies? Because there's a, there's a loneliness attached to to writing. Oh yeah, but you know what? This awful about you know with acting, you're going to get asked to do it less and less and less. <laughs> Reading sometimes you read these things where people saying that Hollywood forgot them and so their lives. You want to say, I'm sorry, is that the biggest tragedy that can happen to someone that Hollywood... That kind of mentality, horrifying, I think. I think my mother said that to someone. He came to a very sad end, my mother says to me. Hollywood forgot him. Well, did he have family? I mean, did he have another life? Hollywood is going to forget everybody. You know, I still do little parts in Mm. movies. I don't like getting up early. I, I didn't like looking at myself on screen when I should have. So I'm not going to like it more now. I do. I did a part in Charlie's Angels, too, because my, my daughter likes me to do that stuff sometimes. But um, I, writing was what I always wanted to do. So I like hanging around on sets, but it's not worth it. But I don't want to ever... I'm reading this awful book right now called Suicide in, in the Show Business Industry or something. That Tracy Allman gave me for Christmas because it's a Christmassy book, and all through the book it says, "Forgotten by show business, forgotten by," and that is what you know what I mean. That that's an excuse of. So anyway. in other words, yeah, you should have developed by the time you get to the point where Hollywood is going to forget you. Should you should have developed inner resources sufficiently so that it doesn't really matter if Hollywood forgets you. That's not a life because mm. this is a a half-life that expires fast, especially on actors and stuff, when you're, you know, you're done at 40 unless you're a certain kind of actor, actress, and actors can go on longer. But look how many survive. What about the rest of them? Hollywood forgot them. Anyway, I I like writing a lot better. I can go anywhere and do it, and I don't... Did you have... always write? I mean, even when you were, you know, 19 years of age and you were doing Star Wars, did you go back into your caravan? Did you have a little diary and did you write down, you know, uh, um, you know, acted with Harrison Ford? Not that Harrison Ford amounted to anybody at that stage in, in his career. Nobody knew anything about him either. But did you do that kind of stuff? I did when I started when I was about 15. And I've always done it. And I really like doing it. I don't mind it. It's not that lonely for me. And I write with music loud, playing loud. And I handwrite rock and roll music. Um, And I I write at home. And, um, you know, it's not as much fun as acting in terms of being on the set with a crew. That's really fun. But, you know, it's a much better job for me. I I really like doing that. And, you know, you, you should be with your friends and do stuff like that. It's a very weird job show business. When you finished doing the, the 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 tour to promote the best of all, what do you what do you what's what's the next plan? What I'm going to do next? another book, and I have two things that I'm overdue on to finish. Yeah, that's the bad thing. 
You know, it's I didn't graduate from high school, and I'm not proud of that. So that my karma on that is that I have to do homework for the rest of my life. So I sit in a room with this stuff. It's like the fairy tale where the princess is locked in a tower and she has to spin wheat into gold. That's my fairy tale now. That's my myth. That's what I do. What are you overdue on? Uh, something for HBO, for Robert Zemeckis, and something for Erwin Winkler, who's being very pleasant about it. But I have to hand in the HBO thing like within the week. Within the week? Something like that. So you shouldn't really be here talking to me, should Not you? at all, unless you could finish it for me. What, 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 Don't they have those cobblers that make the little shoes? Couldn't they have cobblers that make the little scripts for you? <laughs> You're a doctor as well. I'm not. I wish it was another kind. Yeah, well, maybe another kind might no, be No, I don't do that this mu that much, you know. they People end up doctoring. and I mean, I've certainly done it. I do a lot of things. I try to, you know, that's another thing my mother did teach me. Oh, your mother. Um, no, because she just doesn't stop, and there's you don't feel like, well, I don't know how to do that, and therefore I won't. I get up against, you know, I don't know how to do that, and therefore I'm going to figure out how to do it now. So I've learned how to do all these different forms in the past 20 years. Of, no, but I've been writing again, writing since 20 years. Mm. And what about the doctoring? What have you doctored? What has somebody given you and said, this ain't working, fix Well, you it. know, they give it to you and you, they want some... I just did a little tiny bit on this film, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which with Brad Pitt. and Half the time I can't remember what I've done. Looks like I couldn't remember the last book I read. I mean, I have, I, I couldn't remember the term senior moment recently. <laughs> so that really tells you a lot. And I'm not, someone said to me, that's a great line. I said, I'm not kidding, though. Though I don't know, I don't know what I've rewritten. I don't know what I'm reading. Where am I? I'm pretty sure I'm in Ireland. Yeah, but uh, you're not a Mac Reynolds there's not much of Ireland left left in you at this stage. You're not really a Mac Reynolds, are Why you? am I not? Well, I don't know. Are you? Are you? you mean, uh, why am I not? What would make me Mac Reynolds? Um, the drinking? Well, perhaps, yeah, perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> I think I covered that ground, though. I think I used my coupon on the drinking, so give me uh, something else that I'm not. Okay, gonna, could you read another uh, piece this from the book to finish with? Actually, there's a bit of a newspaper hanging out of uh, a page of, uh, of that book, if you can locate it. Okay. And, uh, right, now, do, so, so it won't be the same. Oh, I'm so wounded that I'm not Irish. <laughs> not sufficiently Irish. For what? For the barbecue? <laughs> I'm so frightened now. Okay, where am I reading? Right-hand side. Right-hand side? Second paragraph down. See, that's so Irish of you. <laughs> um, the only part of fame she understood was the thing that had purchased it, talent. She figured the acting or writing or singing or talk show hosting you did, in essence, you did that for free because you at least at one point had liked doing them. All the byproducts, being reviewed or scrutinized, signing autographs and posing for pictures, those were the things you got paid for. The photo ops and sound bites you delivered as requested, those were actually the things that paid the rent. Suzanne sometimes thought that people saw her as many of those things she had done to arrive at her current incarnation. They couldn't possibly see who she felt herself to be. 
But then she reckoned that probably very few felt appreciated for who they really were. For some, it might be a long walk from innermost self to public person. For others, it was no distance at all. The latter being people who could more easily communicate their authentic self to journalists or talk show hosts without feeling when they got home the cupboard was bare. Others found intimacy all but impossible with some special person having already given it the office, where, in the name of publicity, they'd allowed access to what they could once call a soul. Suzanne had given herself up without a struggle, relinquishing anything in her no longer private life to be explored or over entertainment airwaves or in print. She'd been spent down to her last dollar. Now all that remained was to photograph the bank. Suzanne, the girl who, would, who had, over time, signed over all existing rights to herself to any takers still wanting a piece. Just thought it was appropriate to the current <laughs> to situation. Tip, I signed everything over here. <laughs> um, Carrie Fisher, thank you very, very much today for talking to us. Thank you. And The Best Awful is published by Simon and & Schuster and costs €30.99. That's it uh, from Rattlebag for today, which was produced by uh, Kevin Mac Reynolds. Sorry, Kevin ah. Reynolds, I beg your pardon, producer in charge of Rattlebag. Until tomorrow from all of us, bye-bye. That was Miles Dungan in conversation with the late Carrie Fisher.